Hey everybody, it's Justin Shackle welcoming you to episode 94 of Toe in the Slab, Pitching with David Cohn. It is pitching talk every single week with the five-time World Series champ and the former Cy Young Award winner, David Cohn. We have the research master, James Smythe, myself as well, our wonderful producer, Dan Work, with us along for the ride. And this week, we're going to be talking with Pirates starter Mitch Keller as he's enjoying an all-star caliber first half of the season. We have some big series coming up this week, gentlemen. Uh, David's going to be seeing Astros Dodgers this weekend on Saturday Night Baseball. James is heading to the UK for the London series, Cardinals and Cubs over in London. James, you packed? You ready for uh, London town here? Getting ready this week. Not packed yet, though. Are you uh, Are you a late packer? Very much so, yes. Okay, last minute packer. Do you, but do you I'm check pretty the bag? Light. No, no check bag for this one, even if yeah. I'm going to be out there five days. If I have to check a bag, it's like the ultimate feeling of defeat. <laughs> Try not to check the bag at all costs, Same. but it's tough. It's tough sometimes. Um, yeah, we're gonna be we're gonna be touching with which uh, Mitch Keller in a little bit. He's got a really good story. Um, I, I love hearing stories like his, David, because it's it's an amateur with so much talent. Obviously, gets drafted high, foregoes a scholarship to a place like UNC. He's a big-time prospect in a respective uh, organization here. All eyes on him. They think that he could be a front-of-the-rotation type talent. You get to the big leagues, doesn't come as easy, figures out a way to work through that, and now he's having a terrific 2023 season. Yeah, a real throwback, right? That Keller family must have been super competitive. He had a brother who was in the Baltimore organization, an older brother, a father who had season tickets to the local low A minor league ball team. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, they're playing in the backyard, old school style. It's, it's great to hear kind of a throwback story from a kid who signed out of high school. who could have gone to uh, North Carolina, had a scholarship to the University of North Carolina, ended up, uh, you know, becoming a high draft pick and, and taking a shot, saying, waving bye to Iowa, saying, I'm going to go go to pro ball. And uh, he's never looked back. Yeah, second round pick by the Pirates in 2014, thought of as like the next wave of young talent after the period where they made the playoffs and they had the Coles and the Tyones run through the organization from a pitching standpoint. And Mitch Keller's at the top of the Pirates rotation right now in a very crowded NL Central. You know, there may not be that one team that's a ton of games above 500, but they're all bunched together. So it makes it very entertaining. Uh, so we're going to talk to him coming up a few other topics to tackle, but as we do each and every week, let's start off with the opener. David, start us off with the topic that's on your mind. What do you have for us? Well, we are fastly approaching the halfway point in the major league season, probably a week away. A lot of teams are say within the next week, most teams will, will hit that halfway point. And it's kind of, pretender contender time i think you know i mean that's when i kind of looked up as a player when i was active and look around and say man these guys are for real or these guys are going to fall fall to the wayside i think we can kind of go through just off the top of our heads and go you know what tampa bay rays are for real i think we know that now they're not going to go away but when you look down you know the american league central is still wide open um you know uh, cleveland and minnesota are probably going to battle it out but texas is for real in the west no doubt about it at this point they are definitely for real uh, and then you think about, well, wait a minute, Everybody, I, I still like Houston. What about the Angels? The Angels are for real, too, all of a sudden. So, you know, may, maybe maybe there's some, de some debate there, but I, I kind of feel like they are. And then if you go down to the National League, obviously Miami's for real, you know, it, especially if they get Sandy going and turn it around. Marlins are for real in my mind right now because of that pitching. And then, of course, Cincinnati's the hottest story 
in the sport going right now. Ellie De La Cruz. That team is for real. Joey Votto's back. The Cincinnati Reds, are they for real? In that division, I think they are. And, of course, down to the west, the Arizona Diamondbacks. Yes. Corbin Carroll. <laughs> it's just an amazing, talented player. Yes, the Arizona Diamondbacks are for real. So it's kind of a twist in the sport, right? I mean, the the old guards are still kind of hanging on, but there's some there's some upstarts that look like they they are for real. I think that's a, it's an exciting time in Major League Baseball right now as we reach almost the halfway point. I think that's a perfect way to describe it. We might be at a crossroads mm-hmm. in 2023 with some of the. I, you know, for lack of a better phrase, like the blue bloods of the postseason for the last half decade or so, they might not be there the way they're playing. So let's get to some quick topics and run through them. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to do's, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When we think about those teams, I'm thinking about teams as they look through the standings, the, the Astros, the Dodgers, and the Yankees right now. They're all in third place in their respective divisions. And... Uh, let, let's do this exercise, gentlemen. I think it's pretty fun. You can either say you are worried about all three of those teams, the Dodgers, Astros, Yankees, or not worried about any of them. Nothing in the middle. Which way would you be leaning? Well, I, I'd say as far as the division title goes, yes, I'm worried. I think they're fighting for wild card spots. And, and the fact that we have an expanded postseason for the second year this year really helps those teams. Kind of, You know what? If we just get in, just get in the dance, get a ticket, and then then maybe we can we can uh, be alive and make some noise in the postseason. But yes, as far as winning the division, yes, I'm worried for all those teams. I'm not worried about all three because they have the track record and there is that wild card ticket. So we could talk about how for real the Rays are, the Rangers are, and the Diamondbacks are. If these guys really are 100-win teams and they run away with it, tip your cap to them. But Still, the Astros, for instance, you know, a lot of people looking at Aaron Judge being off the Yankees. Well, the Astros, they haven't been great without Jordan Alvarez. Not that you would expect them to be because he's one of the best hitters in the game. But they're the defending champions and they've been on this great run for about a decade until they're actually dead. Until you you (laughs) drive the stake through the heart of the vampire, they're not going away. The Dodgers are the Dodgers and the Yankees. They have their struggles with Judge on the injured list, but they have established hitters that are not going to be in a funk for yeah you could have a slump for a week two weeks or more but it's not going to last on and on and on into the season so i think as far as playoff position i'll ride with them more than some of these other teams that are also in the wild card race yeah all three fall into that category like until you prove otherwise i cannot discount you but i am also uh, you know i i'm of the belief that there's too much talent on these three specific teams too much time left in the season for them to not go on their respective big runs. But if I have to go all three or none, I'm going to worry because specifically with the Astros and the Yankees, I do think that the pool is a bit deeper in the American League this season. There's only four of the 12 teams that made the playoffs last season that are currently 
in a playoff spot. And again, two of them are are the the Yankees and the Dodgers, but David was touching on some of these teams. You can't convince me at this point in the year, teams like Baltimore, teams like Texas, the Angels, I'll lump the Mariners in, uh, Toronto. They're, you can't tell me that they're all going to regress here. So too many teams in contention, too many teams making statements right now that they are for real. It's different in the American League this year. So that's why I, I kind of worry. Uh, you have the Astros and the Dodgers in L.A. this weekend, David. Sunday Night Baseball. You think there's still some real juice to that as obviously Dodger fans have some bad blood toward Houston. I'm sure. Absolutely. Yeah. That that history runs pretty deep at this point and it, it involves uh, maybe lost opportunities. So yeah, it, at some point you got to get over it, you know, because stop talking about 2017 or 2019, but at the same point, it, it's still the Astros and James described them very well uh, in terms of, you know, they're still there. So you drive a stake through the vampire. They're the defending champs and the, the, the Dodgers are the Dodgers. And anytime you can get a big matchup like that with uh, two good teams at Dodger stadium, it means a lot. I mean, it's, there's Yankee stadium and Fenway in the East and there's Dodger stadium in the West, you know, and, and uh, I love going to San Francisco and playing there, but that's a newer ballpark. Just, just the history of, of, you know, Dodger stadium means a lot, even though it's more of a mid-century history, right? We're not talking about, early, early uh, turn of the century stuff, but it still feels like a throwback stadium at this point. There are fewer and fewer players from both teams that were involved in the 2017 world series. But as far as the fan base is going, that place is going to be going berserk all weekend. I imagine. Right. Coney. Uh, I, I certainly agree. The fan base has long, long memories, longer memories than the players currently on the roster. Probably weren't, weren't even there. A lot of them, the majority of them, weren't even there in 2017, probably more Houston Astros, you know, with Altuve and, and Bregman there than, than Dodgers. Although Dave Roberts, I'm sure remembers. Yeah. And there's, and there are still some big names from that Astros team. Even if there are only a few guys left from the 2017 team, it is some star players like Altuve, like Bregman. So guys, some of the upstart contenders that we're seeing play very well over this first half of the season. The, the one question I keep going back to is, do they have enough pitching? Like, can they hold up? It's nice to see that they've done it for two and a half, three months now. But what about the rest of the season? What about the following three months? So which upstart playoff contenders pitching do you think can hold up through the end of the season? You know, teams like the Angels, the Orioles, uh, the Marlins, Pirates, Reds. I mean, you can, you can keep going here. The teams that are right in the thick of it. Well, yeah, I think obviously the Marlins are the choice on the pitching side the, the, to, to hold up. You have to figure that, you know, that that Sandy's going to turn it around. Friend of our show, Sandy, who we love talking to, and you know, last year, and he was my pick to be a back-to-back -back, uh, Cy Young Award winner, and that's not going to happen this year in the National League. But a turnaround is going to happen for for Sandy Alcantara, and uh, you know, it, it, it's just he's just too good. The stuff is too good not to have a turnaround. But the rest of that rotation has always been a strength of the Marlins. The, the, the story there is enough bats or not. And, and, and a rise is hitting 400 currently as we speak, I think after a five for five night last night or whatever he finished up last night, he, he was five for five at one point sitting right at 400. He might've, I didn't see his last at bat if he got another at bat or not, but 400 but the, on the nose, 400 on the nose as, as we speak. So that's the story with the Marlins. Yes. Of, of all those teams you mentioned, the Marlins to me, that the pitching is going to hold up more, more than the rest. Although the Reds, the upstart Reds have some guys coming back, you know, uh, Nick Lodolo's kind of come back. Both of those guys don't have arm injuries. 
they have uh, leg injuries. I think uh, Lodolo and, and Ashcraft both have had calf injuries. So that to me is a, is a good sign. Once that heals, their arms should be good and they'll be back and ready to go. It's not like they're coming back from an elbow injury or shoulder injury. So the Marlins, they're now out of all these teams in the mix that you've been reeling off, there are two that are in the top half of the major leagues in both starting pitching ERA and bullpen ERA. It's the Marlins, because we got to give some love. We talk about the Marlins rotation a lot, but got to throw some love to the bullpen, some some good reclamation projects, a couple of hard-throwing lefties. A.J. Puck and Tanner Scott have been terrific back there. They've had a lot of guys contributing. Uh, but the other one is the San Francisco Giants, and I was this close to going with them, but losing Alex Cobb is a big blow. He has an oblique injury. He's out four to six weeks. So you had Logan Webb and Alex Cobb as one of the best you know, two-man punches in the National League, but now – with him going down, that really puts a, a lot of weight on the rest of the rotation and subsequently the bullpen. And then a lot of the other teams, you know, they either have a very good starting pitching unit or a very good bullpen, and they're lacking in the other spot. I Every year I want to believe in the Angels, right? We, we trout Otani. What can they do in a postseason push in a pennant race? The bullpen has surprised some, I would bet. I bet most people wouldn't think that they're sixth in the major leagues in uh, reliever ERA. But I think the big question with them guys is going to be the rotation behind Shohei Otani. So Otani has a 3-2-9 ERA this season. The rest of the starting pitchers, 5.00. That's not going to cut it. Yeah. I think I have faith in in the Giants figuring out figuring out the loss of, uh, of Alex Cobb, overcoming that for the time period he's going to be out. I think I have faith in the, the D-backs doing it as well. And teams like the Angels, like you mentioned, James, the Orioles, they might be one or two moves away as the trade deadline approaches from perhaps having enough to kind of push through that barrier. I worry about the younger teams, though. I worry about the Marlins as dynamic as the rotation is after Sandy. Still have a lot of young arms there, and inning limits are going to play a factor. The Reds have young, dynamic pitching when they're healthy. Same thing, though, and and. David, you mentioned some of those injuries aren't arm-related, but still innings limits could be a factor if they come back and and to start to pitch here. So I don't know if they have the innings in their history to carry them to the finish line. Other teams like like the Pirates, um, I don't know if it's there. I don't know if, if the innings limits uh, you know, is going to allow them to go all the way out through the end of September. So that might be some type of separator in the NL Central. People, more Tone the Slab is coming up, but first I need to tell you about how you can hit it out of the park this baseball season with DraftKings Sportsbook. New customers can place a $5 bet and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. Plus, all customers can take a shot at bigger payouts with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app, sign up with code SLAB, that's S-L-A-B, and new customers can bet just 5 bucks and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. That's code SLAB only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Massachusetts, call 800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Kansas, call 1-800-522-4700. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, 21 or plus in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Opt in and 
10 plus leg requirement for 100% boost. Eligibility, wagering, and deposit restrictions apply. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash baseball terms. Speaking of the NL Central, London series is this weekend between the Cubs and the Cardinals. And something just came through my phone as we're recording this, guys. Now, a year from today, the Cardinals are going to be in another showcase game. Major League Baseball announced that the Cardinals and the Giants are going to be playing at Rickwood Field over in Birmingham, Alabama. It is the one of two uh, two active ballparks that were Negro League ballparks. So it'll be Rickwood Field in Birmingham. You have two, I guess, I don't want to call them show, jewel events, but they're showcase events. The Cardinals are going to be involved in both here, the London Series and a game at Rickwood Field on June 20th, 2024, Hate to put you on the spot here, but like, which one kind of gets the juices flowing a little bit more? Well, just from a uh, from an investment standpoint, what Major League Baseball does when they go into these places is they 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 pour in a lot of money to fix that place up to Major League standards. So Rick Rickwood Field, not only is it a great historical site it's now going to get a major facelift. And that is the story for me, is that we're going to preserve a historical place for resources and bring it up to standards. And that's going to be a lasting effect. To, to Not only as, as a, a ballpark in and of itself is going to be a major league standard ballpark, but it, just the history is now going to be preserved. So to me, that's the story. And I love this, this move by Major League Baseball. I mean, it's one thing to go Field of Dreams out in Iowa. Great story. Cornfield, fantastic play off of the movie. This is another level when you're going into a historical site that was a Negro League place and invest in it and bring it up to major league standards. That is going to have a lasting impact that to me is the, the real story. The venue really is the story here and it's going to be preserved forever now. I love it. And it's a way to put a spotlight on the history of the Negro Leagues. And, you know, you there aren't many big league venues where Satchel Page pitched. And this is something that can really put a spotlight on that. I love it. It had been rumored uh, for a little while that this is something that they could end up doing, but hearing that it's locked in and that we're full go for this next year is great. I love seeing it. Uh, having some broadcasting experience in the Southern League right near Birmingham, they would always play the Rickwood Classic every year. They still do. And it's a Southern League tradition. It's really cool for the teams that are involved in it year in and year out. The other stadium that uh, hosted Negro League Baseball that's still active is Hinchliffe Stadium in Patterson, New Jersey. They just refurbished that stadium. So the the city of Patterson did a nice job. I think the aim there, and now after this announcement, maybe in the foreseeable future, you could see a major league game in Patterson, New Jersey, uh, you know, home of the New York Black Yankees. So maybe a Yankee or Met game uh, over at Hinchliffe in Patterson, New Jersey is in the near future. Um, in our immediate future is Mitch Keller, the Pirates starter, doing a terrific job here in 2023. The Pirates right in the thick of things in the NL Central. Again, all teams bunched up right around 500. At the time we're recording this, Keller's 8-3, and three, has a 3.62 ERA and 15 starts. Highlight of his season, a complete game shutout uh, earlier this season. And Mitch was kind enough to join us here for this spot as we inch closer toward the All-Star break. He could be playing in Seattle. We'll have to wait and see. Our guest this week on Tone of the Slab, pitching with David Cohn, it is Mitch Keller of the Pittsburgh Pirates. Mitch, thanks for coming on with us here. And it's been really fun 
watching you pitch in 2023. But I, I want to start by going back to around this time last year, because that's when it seems like you found the steadiness as a, a big league starting pitcher. Can you take us through like when you felt like things began clicking for you as a big league starter? Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I would say probably right around this year, last year, um, or right around this time last year, um, I got moved to the bullpen. I was going through some struggles. Um, I mean, going back previously to that offseason, I started working with Tread Athletics out of North Carolina. And I mean, I felt really good coming into that season. I had a really good spring training. Um, was throwing my fastball probably up to like 100 consistently. Um, but then just, I mean, as you guys know, through the first month of the season, it just kind of kind of hit a wall. Um, I was getting hit around. Wasn't really sure what was going on, um, you know, because I felt so good coming in. And then I got moved to the bullpen. And that was kind of like right before I got moved to the bullpen was kind of when we noticed that my analytics on my fastball, I was kind of cutting it a little bit uh, or just the way it was coming out of my hand. So um, we just decided that, you know, maybe – um, a sinker would work better because the way it came out and kind of get the seam shifted wake a little bit. Um, so I threw it on a track man before I got moved to the bullpen and it was, it was really good um, initially. And then, so I got moved to the bullpen. Uh, my first outing was actually in Wrigley. So I got, it's kind of different. Never been out of the bullpen in my life um, with family and friends there. Um, yeah. And I think that was just kind of the turning point was just having that mentality of coming out and using your best stuff right away. And, um, I actually debuted the sinker that day in the one pitch I threw, I hit Wilson Contreras right in the elbow. So we were like, yeah, we'll wait a little bit on throwing that, um, <laughs> eliminate the free passes. So, um, but after that, yeah, it was kind of just the turnaround. I had one more bullpen outing and it went pretty well. And then I think just coming out of there and, the new sinker nobody had ever seen it kind of helped me um you know with my confidence and knowing hey no one's ever seen this pitch and I kind of have an advantage now um and I think that just kind of set my confidence up a little bit more to keep going yeah you know Mitch I, I guess I, I, the, the part I'm interested in obviously I, I signed out of high school too uh you know but obviously a different different era um did you grow up with some of the technology or were you receptive to it? You know, when, when they come to you and they say, Hey, you're cutting your four seamer, the spin rates, not, not optimal or the shape of it, or what characteristics do you look at when you evaluate your start and were you open to it right from the beginning in terms of, you know, tread athletics or sort of the, just the technology and all the toys that you have now to evaluate your pitching? Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, just going back to high school, um, none of that was even, even out. So it was nice. okay. This when scouts saw me, it was this kid throws hard. Right. Um, so that's where it started. And then I think kind of just through minor league, the minor leagues, um, as the pirates, we just started getting more and more technology. I think the first time I saw a track man was getting put up on our, like one of our backfield spring training fields. Um, I don't really no one, none of us players were really allowed to see it. Cause I don't think anybody really knew what the information meant or what it was for um or how it could help us <laughs> or hurt you in a in a way too um but uh yeah just when that when that time did come when they were saying hey you're cutting your fastball um yeah I was very receptive to it I was like I mean I would do anything I was like damn I'm struggling hard right now I need something just <laughs> something to keep me going and something to something to give me some life and um 
and really when I started fully understanding the analytics and that side of the pitching side was when I started going to tread. I mean, you just, you always hear about it and I didn't really understand it quite a lot. And then when I went there, they would, I mean, I was learning so much about it and um, just really knowing what it all meant and the spin rate and the axis and, you know, horizontal and vertical break, what that means and what that, what that can do for you. So I think even just learning that kind of set me up for having more confidence in my stuff. Like, okay, I'm throwing a sweeper that's moving 20 inches. Like that's really good. And just to know that and have that in the back of your head is, is um, it's a freeing feeling and, and gives you a lot of confidence. You've talked a lot about confidence and conviction on the mound and, and how that's been a part of your breakout. But I love, there was a, a moment last year when you were facing the Rays at the Trop and you balked in a run and you've talked about that as something that you, it was something negative that you turned into a positive. Uh, take us through that and, and, and let us know like what that really took as far as turning things around for you. Yeah. Um, I think I was kind of sped up in that moment. Um, I've never balked in my life. Um, I don't think I've ever have in the big leagues or minor leagues, maybe when I was a little kid or something, but uh, yeah, just, <laughs> that was a crazy moment. Um, it was so quiet in the trap. Some guy yelled runner and I thought it was our first baseman <laughs> yelling. So I stepped uh -huh. off, like I kind of flinched and they, yeah, they got me It was first and third. Um, yeah. On that. And then, yeah, just being able to, you know, slow the game down and really just um, analyze what's going on. And I think that's helped me a lot just with confidence and, and conviction in my pitches and, and just slowing the game down and knowing what's going on. But then you retired nine batters in a row after that. And you said that's something that wouldn't have had that you wouldn't have done earlier in your career. Right. Yeah, no doubt. Um, yeah. I think just being able to slow it down and, and know like, okay, uh, that sucked. Um, let's regroup and, and kind of get back after it. And, and just having that mentality that you're not going to let anybody else get base or um, nobody else is going to score. Um, I think that's a huge mentality to have uh, just just for uh, just for pitching in general, because I feel like that gives you a little edge out there. And um, as anybody knows who's pitched out there, when you have conviction in your stuff, it seems better to have conviction in the wrong pitch than to not have any conviction and throw necessarily the right pitch. Um, so, yeah, conviction is a huge thing out there. And, uh, yeah, just be having confidence. David talks about pitching with conviction all the time. And and Mitch, you mentioned how maybe around this time last year, like the light bulb kind of went on. But your story for for young pitchers, okay, it could be like a tale as old as time here. Uh, young young kid out of high school, high draft pick in in 2014. You're the big prospect that everybody has their, their eyes on. The expectations are high. You get to the majors and it doesn't come easy the first few seasons. And you talk about going to Tread Athletics where you, you essentially had to revamp your mechanics. Like, what are you feeling in those moments as a young big leaguer where you knew change was needed? What you had yeah. wasn't going to be enough to get to that next level that you wanted to get to. Yeah, it's um, sometimes it's a discouraging feeling. Um, you know, I, I gone through the whole minor leagues and never even failed I didn't fail once, um, really. I mean, maybe had a few bad outings there, here or there, but um, in a total season, I've never really failed. So getting that, you know, you get to the big leagues and it's supposed to be this great thing. And um, 
I mean, which it is, it's unbelievable. Um, but then just to get your, your teeth kicked in a little bit, um, out there, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough pill to swallow, uh, sometimes, but just having a great support system around you and being able to, you know, take a step back and be like, okay, what do I need to change and what's not going well? Um, because I, I knew I was really good. There's a reason why I was a top prospect and all this, I mean, all the good accolades that I've gotten, you know, you you know, in the back of your mind that you're good. And I think that's why it's even more frustrating sometimes for people or for myself, it was more frustrating because everyone would be telling you, you, Hey, you're nasty. You're, you mean, your pitches are nasty. And, and then I'm like, okay, well then why am I not getting results? You know? So that can be the most frustrating part at times. Um, well, yeah, just being able to recognize what you needed to change and, and go from there was, is a huge thing. I guess, you know, um, uh, you know, aside from, from all the emotional stuff that you went through, you know, I was curious and I always ask this question for guys, cause I was in the same spot you were in, you get drafted, you got a scholarship to North Carolina, you know, how tough was that decision back then? I know it's it, it probably, I don't know, eight or nine years ago or whatever it was, you're 27 now. Yeah. Um, yeah. What, what did that feel like? How hard was that decision? And I know your family too. I know your brother played in the Baltimore organization as well. What was that household like back then? Um, yeah, it was kind of crazy just seeing my brother go through it, um, four years before I did. Um, and then actually the year before I got drafted, cause he got drafted again out of the university of Tampa. So, um, just having that draft experience twice and then seeing him go to college, um, he didn't have the best college experience. So I think that kind of helped me, um, once, I mean, cause before the draft, I mean, I was only, I mean, a year before the draft, I was topping out at probably 90, 91. And then I went to St. Louis and was um, working with a guy named Brian DeLunis, who's uh, recently passed away the past year or so. Um, he actually worked with the Mariners and their bullpen coach a little bit. But he got me throwing it was little mechanical changes here. And before, right before the draft, I was throwing 95. So that kind of really jumped me up the draft boards a lot. And um, I think once once my family and I realized, you know, you're probably going to be a second rounder or above um, that decision was kind of easy for me, just based off of the experience my brother had at college, you know, he didn't have the best college experience, which I know some people had great ones. Some people haven't, but um, just the experience we had was, you know, this is a no brainer. Um, it's kind of life-changing money to pass up to get an experience that you don't really know what the outcome is going to be. So um yeah, when it was coming down to it, the cup like weeks leading up, yeah, was, if it was the right amount and the right spot, yeah, we were definitely going to sign. Mitch, how do two brothers from Cedar Rapids, Iowa, not exactly a baseball hotbed, how do they make it to pro ball? Um, I think just playing a lot in the backyard, honestly, because my mom. I mean, we're we're kind of a sports family, but nobody's ever played college sports or anything like that like my parents didn't play past high school uh, football my dad did even sophomore year so I mean baseball wasn't even in our family so I'd probably just attest a lot of it too just growing up in the backyard playing playing little league just com being competitors all the time I mean to this day we still um, just are competing in everything we're doing trying to beat each other so I think just that uh, competitive uh, fire and that that edge to want to win kind of made us good at a lot of different sports and we just happened to be able to throw a baseball really hard so um that kind of just set us up for for pro ball did you go to uh any 
Cedar Rapid Colonels games when you were oh yeah growing we up? um yeah so my dad actually had season tickets uh for us uh, um all of our summers I mean that we were kids and um I necessarily wasn't the one who wanted to stay all the time because I was four years younger than my brother but I think my brother is like the only 10 year old that would sit in the seat the whole game and watch the whole baseball game, um, which is kind of cool. Uh, you know, cause I mean, we just grow up going to low A baseball games, watching um, just the, the stars. I mean, the future stars, like, I mean, in high school, I was watching trout play in low A, which is super cool. And then to be able to face him in the big leagues um, in my debut year in 19 is, is unbelievable. It's, it's kind of a surreal moment. It's like, damn, I was watching this guy hit homers in low A like six years ago. Now I'm facing him in the big leagues. It's kind of crazy. Um, but yeah, just being able to grow up and that, I mean, that's just really where I learned to watch the game and, and learn how to play baseball is it's, it's awesome. Every time I drive by there, I always get the memories of, you know, being there and, and watching guys, um, become who they are now that's really cool what what would mike trout look like in low a ball <laughs> not as big as he does now i mean he looked like the your normal 18 year old kid that just got drafted 19 year old <laughs> uh but he was you could tell he was the best on the field by far um it was only a matter of time because i remember everybody the talk of the town was you better get to the colonel's game before like Mike's gone because I mean, he was hitting homers like every night. So it was just a matter of time before he got called up to high, a, um, which is, it's so cool to, to remember those things. Yeah. I, I, while I got you here, I got to ask you one, one question about uh, your slider. You know, I know everybody's the, the classification of calling it a sweeper is kind of, you know, old school. are like, <laughs> what are you guys talking about? I used to throw yeah. a sweeper. Well, you know, I, what, 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 what are we renaming, you know, reinventing the wheel here, but I get it. I like it. I like classifications. I think it's good for the game, marketing the game or whatever. You've got a great one. Uh, how did you learn it? Seam shifted wake. I heard you mention it. I'm fascinated with this. I, I changed my arm angles. I threw kind of a, a, a sweeping horizontal breaking type slider at times. And they, you know, how do you grip it? And how did you learn how to throw it? And how do you evaluate it after your starts in terms of the spin or the, you mentioned spin axis as well. What, what do you look for? Um, yeah, really. So I'll go back to when I, so that first off season at tread, I would did a remote or I popped in for a visit. Usually I'd do it remote at home, but I popped in there for a visit to throw a bullpen in front of everybody. And, um, my, like I used to throw in 2019, I used to throw a gyro slider, um, like horseshoe like, grip, horseshoe ish or yeah, horseshoe and have it kind of go just straight down. Right. Um, and I kind of changed arm angles a little bit from 2020 to 2021. So I kind of lost the feel for that pitch, just how my arm was working. Um, so the whole season was kind of 2021 was kind of a whole season of trying to figure out what slider was working or what I could throw. Cause nothing was consistent and nothing was getting me the movement that I wanted. And I just grabbed the, I think they call it the whirly grip. It was like a two, it's just like a little two seam grip here. And, we just noted because I'm a, I'm a supinator. I'm not a really a pronator, so I can supinate. And that usually means guys can spin the ball pretty good. Um, so that was, that was the idea. And the first time I threw it, it, it was a two seam. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to kill my throwing partner. Pro, uh, I'm going to kill the throwing partner that I'm playing catch with right now. 
So I didn't have too much confidence in that. And then like three weeks later, I picked it up again and I tried to throw it and it was like nasty. And I was like, oh, that's the feeling. Uh, so then it get like right around that time I was throwing the sinker, it was, um, all right, let's, I mean, just see what we got. Let's throw it on track, man, and see, you know, where the profiles are. And, and it was kind of, it was pretty inconsistent at first. I think you could go back and watch, um, the Dodger, I pitched against the Dodgers my first start back and I tried to, I was starting to throw it. Um, it was pretty inconsistent. Um, just pro- movement. Sometimes I'd get like five horizontal, and then the next one I'd get like 11. Um, so that was kind of just a making like over time, like a couple weeks, um, two or three weeks, I think really took me to figure out exactly how to throw it. Uh, but yeah, it's just a two seam really grip and um, inside the seams a little bit or yeah. Inside the seams. I wish I had a baseball uh, fingers together. The, yeah. Fingers together no, or apart. Yeah. Spread apart. Just like a nice. two seam and just offset a little bit. Yeah. Um, so it's like exactly this how rest- I threw mine, by the way, it's exactly yeah, this how I threw one's, mine. This one's resting on a seam and this one yes. is too. And yes, I'm really like curveball. People are more like middle finger, but I'm more on this one pointer finger trying to like twist it here. Yes. And agreed. when I do like, I get out there and do this, it, it catch, it just catches the seam. Right. And it just goes. Yeah. I always felt um, like I could pull it with the pointer finger a little bit. I always yeah, felt like that was yeah, important. Exactly. Yeah. A little extra yeah, pull. So like, I honestly, it's like the reverse of a curveball. Like the pointer finger on a curveball is more for, you know, like having the good grip or whatever. But for me, it's the middle finger on the sweeper is the one that's holding the ball in place. So my pointer finger can do all the work. Um, Yeah, that's fascinating that you throw it the same way. I've never heard anybody else that had that that same feeling and thought. Um, Because usually people are the like they want to do the middle finger. I'm like, no, it's, you got to go, you got to get the pointer finger like around the ball and just spin the crap out of it. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, I felt like it, it almost helped you stop from hanging it. Cause you got that little safety yeah. with your pointer finger and you can yeah, pull it or you save really it, get through it. Yeah. Yeah. You get, yeah, really get through it. And um, yeah. So that's been, it's been crazy. I know the past couple starts, even my past two starts, I've gotten, some more uh, horizontal on it, which I'm trying to get it back down to like 20. I was getting like 20, 25 sometimes. Yeah. And I'm like, this, this is too much sometimes. Right. So um, I'm just trying to get it back to like the, I'd say like if it's between negative 18 and negative 20, it's that's like the sweet spot. Are, are you able to throw it to both sides of the plate or backdoor to lefties? Or are you, you getting to the point where you feel good both sides of the plate? Yeah. Um, that's been a huge thing for me this year. I think that's kind of why I'm getting a lot of strikeouts looking and, um, was just, I mean, I had never even thought about it and hedges was like, I don't remember what game it was. He just called the backdoor sweeper. He just called sweeper and a lefty. And I kind of like double take that. And I was yeah. like, Oh no, I just Where? gave that one away. That Where one. do you want it? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I have no idea. I just, I just tried to throw it in the other batter's box and have it come back around and, um, I mean, I executed the pitch and it was strike three and I was like, wow, I, I could really get it's a nice weapon. that thing. It's a nice yeah. weapon to have. Yeah. yeah, it really is. Especially having the, you know, the sinker that I'm throwing, I can front hip it to lefties. And then, I mean, there's just so much room that a hitter has to cover now, um, that I have the backdoor sweeper. Um, cause I mean, if it's moving 20 inches and the sinkers moving, hopefully 15 to 18, I mean, that's a lot of movement that you got to cover. You weren't kidding about all the called third strikes, 45 <laughs> looking strikeouts 
leading the major leagues by far. Number two in the majors this year is Garrett Cole with 33. So a healthy lead there. Yeah, I think that has a lot to do with the front hip sinker. I don't think I, I haven't really thrown that one either too much until this year. And then, um, yeah, hedges again, he was like, dude, I really think we can throw this, um, you know, we can front hit people with this and set them up different ways. And I think that's really helped me with lefties this year. Um, yeah. If you think about it, think about your front hip sinker starts way over here and your backdoor slider starts way over there. They got a lot of ground to cover yeah. east and west. And Yeah. You got to pick, you got to pick one or the other to, to go yeah. after. And hopefully I pick right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm curious about this day and age's pitcher because we are in the, you know, the, the pitching ninja era here. So like when, when, when you're throwing a, just a nasty sweep or a nasty pitch in general, do you find yourself maybe after your start going to look it up on Twitter, seeing if, if like pitching ninjas put up that pitch, because that's what jumps out at me. Like when I'm scrolling on any given night, like I see, Oh, Mitch Keller sweeper filthy, maybe <laughs> the, the green sick face emoji, something like that. Like do pitchers find themselves going back and looking to see if pitching ninja posted their their sick pitch um i don't actively search it out but i do follow him on twitter so i mean when i'm scrolling through i'll see it and i'm and like i'll scroll like i'll do a quick scroll and be like oh i like i think i recognize it and then i'm like oh that was me and it's kind of cool to uh to see because you know i've been following that account for i don't know how many years now but um it's kind of cool just to see yourself on there and um, most of the time when I do see it, I'm someone's tagging me or one of my buddies sends it to me or something like that through a text. And, you know, in the moment when you're out on the mound, I mean, not definitely not thinking about, Oh, that, that was on pitching ninja or something like that. But, um, you, I mean, it's, it's really cool to see after the game, uh, you know, your, your buddies and your family sending you stuff like that. Um, just because, I mean, you know, for the past few years, I've been looking on that thing. I'm like, dang, I wish I could get there. Um, wonder what one's going to be mine. And then I make, I start throwing a sweeper last year and now it's, now it's on there all the time. So it's, it's cool. And David, I feel like that's the new sports center top 10 for, for this generation's like a uh, pitcher. Like, hey, am I going to get posted by the ninja on, on Twitter? Um, <laughs> it's instant gratification. You, you don't have to wait for sports center, right? He gets yeah. it out there quickly. I mean, he works hard. I mean, he really puts in the hours and he's watching every game studying all the videos and uh, I know he's a fan of yours, Mitch, because, uh, cause you got some nasty stuff and it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's fun to watch. Have you thought about potentially uh, pitching an all-star game? Um, definitely <laughs> thought about it. Yeah. I got to start pitching a little bit better if I want to get there, but, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely a thought It's a goal of mine for this year. Um, always has been. So, um, yeah, I'd be completely honored if I got selected to go and, um, yeah, I'm just, just looking forward to what's to come and, and hopefully one day I can get there. Yeah. Well, I think you got a pretty good shot. So you're on the, you're on the right track. That's for sure. I appreciate that. <laughs> hey Mitch, I know you, you mentioned uh, tread athletics in the first part of this, this spot here with us a, a couple of times. I'm wondering like who pointed you in the direction of going to work at tread after, after the 2021 season. Um, It was, so it was actually in spring training, um what year was that 2020 yeah spring training of 2021 um clay holmes was in a spring training with us and he had noticed just some things that had you know gotten off a little bit with my mechanics and my throwing and he didn't really want to say anything to me too much uh, during spring um but he got it got to a point like 
we talked and he was like, Hey, you know, um, I think these guys at tread could really help you and really get you back into, you know, what you were feeling in the minor leagues and, and, and feeling good and confident again. So I went through that whole 2021 season and it was kind of, it was really not good for me. Um, just a lot of up and down starts, good one, bad one, good one, bad one, getting sent down, um, trying to figure it out. And then, um, that off season. Yeah. I was like, all right, it's time. Like it's either now or never. I'm kind of running out of time here with my career. And, you know, if I keep going the way I'm going, it's not gonna, it's not gonna last too much longer. So, um, he, he, yeah, Clay Holmes was really the one who initiated that conversation and, and kind of helped set it up for me. You close with Clay? Um, we're not super close, but I'll text him every once in a while. And then whenever, you know, the Yankees or someone's coming into town and during spring training, we'll link up here and there, have some dinner, hang out. Um, but not like, not like crazy close, but close enough to, to catch up every once in a while. You're close enough for him to lend you some advice on a sinker. Oh yeah, for sure. Okay. <laughs> I texted him. Yeah. Yeah. Last year was, was big. We were texting back and forth all the time. I was like, dude, how do you get, cause at that point I was still experimenting. Um, and cause I was still getting a lot of vertical, um, break on my two seam, which was like too high. And I was like, just texting him trying to figure out, I was like, Hey, how do you get less vert? Cause I mean, he's got like negative vert on his sinker, which is stupid. Like, I don't think he's like the only one I've ever seen. And, and mine was at like 12. I'm like, how do I get this down? And so he just texted me a little pointers, little tips that he, you know, that he saw when he was going through it. And, um, I mean, he's, he's a very bright mind. He's super analytical, knows probably the analytics of pitching and like just the aerodynamics and everything about it, um, way more than I'll ever know. So, um, I was really listening to what he had to say and, and it's helped a lot too. So I've gotten that thing down. Um, quite a bit over the over the past year and kind of gotten a really consistent pitch with it now yeah clay is one of the more cerebral pitchers that we've dealt with he's you know we're around him a lot more given our work with the yankees he, he also listens yeah. to the podcast that makes us feel good because for a guy as smart as clay it makes us feel like we're doing something right with this uh this project here um, <laughs> yeah yeah clay's awesome man he's he's one of a kind he's great a couple more before we let you go just on a wider scope here because you've obviously come through this organization with, with Pittsburgh. What, what feels different about the pirates this season? Yeah, I think um, just having that veteran presence, um, having Kutch, um, Santana's here, Rich Hill, um, just learning a lot from those guys and learning how to win and, and learning how to get through, you know, some struggles and, you know, the high points and the low points of a season and just learning how to keep going. I think that's been really big for our young group. Um, you know, and obviously having Reynolds and Hayes, uh, those guys are awesome. And then, you know, the addition of Hedges back there, uh, he's been really good for our pitching staff too, just bringing a different mindset from different organizations. Um, a guy who's taken um, clubs to the postseason uh, last year with the Indians and he's worked with some really good pitchers and he's kind of seen, seen a lot. So um, just the addition of all those guys, uh, I think has really made our clubhouse come together as one and, um, just, you know, got back to playing, winning baseball, and um, just something we need to get back to. And then you take a look 
at the the central like i know the records aren't the shiniest in the nl central but, but it's competitive and like when all the teams are bunched up like they are what do you think it's going to take for that one team to emerge and break away this season yeah it's it's definitely tight um for sure every every division game matters a lot and um yeah i think just um not making mistakes um it just i think it comes back down to just taking care of the baseball and and limiting walks and limiting damage um, within these innings and and within the games um, and just as starting pitchers, just trying to keep your keep your team in it as long as possible and um, try and go as deep as you can into the game and, and you know let the offense kind of try and break through and um, yeah I think it's it's going to be a fun race coming down to the end because I mean it's like you said it's tight and I mean the records aren't as as great as we'd as we'd like, but, um, it's, it's fun baseball and, and every game matters. So, um, yeah, it's going to be fun. Mitch, thanks so much for the time here, man. Appreciate you. Appreciate your insight. I think, uh, your story is a great story for a lot of talented young pitchers out there to know that, um, you know, they're, they may not be alone if they're struggling at a higher level and there's ways to get around it. They're, they're not the first, they're definitely not going to be the last. And, I mean, you you know, with the hard work that you put in, you could be having all-star caliber seasons like you are here in uh, 2023. So thanks for the time, Mitch. Good luck the rest of the way. Thank you guys for having me. It was great. Appreciate yeah, that's it. great. That's great, Mitch. We wish you all the best. And to the kids out there, get out in the backyard like Mitch did with his brothers. That's how you get to yeah. the big leagues. Get off the video that's games, right. get in the backyard. <laughs> get out there and play, man. Go compete and have some fun with uh, with your classmates, your, your friends, and your and your relatives. I mean, I feel like that's, I feel like that's where it starts. Um, honestly, um, I don't feel like it doesn't start in a travel ball scene. I feel like it starts just playing games and, and learning how to throw and learn how to hit different things. You know, we're hitting rocks as kids and stuff. So it's, yeah. Um, just, just getting back to that, I think is brings a competitive mindset to people. So. It's funny yeah. how that's the common message from the most elite uh, pitchers and, and players in the respective <laughs> sport. Keep it simple. Uh, Mitch, again, thanks thanks for the time, man. Appreciate you. Yeah, thank you, guys. David, that grip that you uh, you and Mitch Keller share, pretty interesting. He kind of opened his eyes there. He, he never met another guy with that with that two-seam grip. Or, or, have you come across other pitchers that share the same grip like that? I have, actually. And I think that the, maybe there's a little bit of a disconnect that, that this might be what bothers some of the old-time players or old-time fans when they hear the term sweeper. Like if they, everybody thinks, oh, you're reinventing the wheel here. Like, oh, you've invented a new pitch. No, it's not a new pitch. I actually like the classification because, you know, it's all it is, is a classification of a pitch trying to define, you know, trying to separate it from an, an actual slider, the movement profile of a slider and a sweeper and, you know, put a spotlight on horizontal break. But yes, Dave Steve threw a two seam seam shifted wake slider. One of the best sweepers I've ever seen before we called it a sweeper. Uh, the Yankees had a closer named Steve Farr, the beast. Back in the back in the eighties, who threw a two seam slider and had a sweeping slider that was his best pitch. There were a few others along the way that that threw kind of that what they call that seam shifted wake seam two seam orientation on their slider over the years. And yes, people threw sliders with a lot of horizontal break back in the day. You know, and uh, th this reminds me of stories I've heard back when the slider first came about. They used to call a slider a nickel curve. 
because it was just fastball curve back, you know, when you think about the 1920s or when Babe Ruth played. And, and then all of a sudden around the 1940s or 50s, somebody started to come up with a quicker breaking curveball and called it the slider. And and it was poo-pooed on like much like the sweeper is nowadays. And they said, no, that's not a slider. That's just a little cheap curveball, a little nickel curveball. But, you know, it's, it's funny how people get upset over breaks and seams and sliders and classifications. But, yes, it, it is uh, – it is great for me to see the, the feedback uh, of guys learning how to grip it and rip it a different way. Nothing is more exciting for a pitcher than learning a new grip and how to make a ball move a different way. You're like a little kid in the candy store when that happens. Even today, I still, I'm 60 years old. I still get excited about, man, wow, how'd you grip that? How did you throw that? How do you make that break? It's just, it's our life. It's our life. I think Jim Bouton had the best line. He said, I spent my whole life gripping a baseball and then come to realize later on that it was the other way around. You know, it was baseball gripping me, and that—that's just—that's just so true. It's the way it works. It's the way your mind's going to operate till till the end of time, my friend. Yes. Um. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week. You can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's get let's get to some Yankee talk to close out this show here. Uh, not a lot of it is good to be canted here. Uh, Yankees are four and eight since Aaron Judge hurt his toe on the uh, base of the wall over at Dodger Stadium. They got swept in Boston, including a doubleheader sweep on Sunday at Fenway Park. And the main pieces of this lineup surrounding Aaron Judge when the team's at full strength, they are struggling mightily. We're talking about players like Anthony Rizzo, Giancarlo Stanton, DJ LeMahieu. I'm wondering what other players in the clubhouse feel when they see those main pieces of the lineup in a slump. Well, you can't, you know, you can't help but feel the pressure. Uh, I think um, the problem is, is that, you know, when, when you want to be, you want to be the guy who breaks it open. You want to be the guy that goes up there and, you know, uh, makes that big swing, or maybe you get out of yourself a little bit. I know we're getting into sports psychiatry here. I've heard these, these terms all the way, just stay within yourself to do what you can do. But the human nature, the human nature sort of makes you get outside of yourself in these situations. And that's when you start seeing guys swing at bad pitches kind of get out of their game a little bit instead of the, having that patience. And this really comes down to patience and trust. And and James said it well earlier in the podcast about, hey, these guys have track records. DJ LeMay, who has a track record. Uh, John Carlos Stanton has a track record. Even Josh Donaldson has a track record. And you're going to say, well, okay, where are we in that track record? Are their skills diminishing? Is father time catching up? Or are they pressing a little bit? And do they just need a little more time to get their timing going? The toughest thing to do is to have patience. And that's what this really comes down to. Pitch by pitch, win the pitch. That's what a sports psychiatrist would say. Some hitting coaches would say it. You can't win the at-bat without winning the first pitch of the at-bat. We see a lot of guys going up there swinging at that first pitch, and it's out of the strike zone. I saw it with Anthony Volpe the other night in the ninth inning, down three runs. First pitch from Kenley Jansen, up and out of the zone, takes a big lash at it. Even even if he didn't hit a home run there, it would have been you're still down by one run. So patience is the hardest thing to have when you're a player and the entire team is struggling, get back to the basics, simplify your approach, win each and each individual pitch, win that pitch. 
the play at Fenway, no bones about it, uninspiring. Um, so like it's one thing to have continued struggles at the plate, but there was also just a lot of poor play all around. Players getting picked off. Uh, there was a catcher's interference, balls being overthrown Friday night. That big 15 to 5 defeat, just a disaster. They should have had more than the two errors that were scored officially. I I think a lot of fans are looking for accountability on the surface. They might not be seeing it right now. How do you trust players are doing their all if there isn't accountability had for what happened on the field outside of the struggles, the you know, the the mistakes that can't happen? Right. And you know, sloppy baseball is even even worse when you're struggling offensively. Right. Everybody looks flat. The problem is, is sometimes it, I don't you know, this this is the tricky part. Teams that look flat, you, you think, oh, man, what's going on? Get your head in the game. Right. Um, maybe, maybe there needs to be a benching. Maybe the manager needs to make a statement. Something needs to be done here to wake them up. The problem is, is that these there's there's almost too much accountability where guys feel so badly about their at bats that they carry it out to the field on the defensive end that they care too much that you get too wrapped up in your own little your own little bubble of your last at bat that you bring it out on the field with you and then the next thing you know you exacerbate it by making an error behind you. I've seen that happen so many times. I'd have to be in that clubhouse to know what's going on now. So I, I'm I'm reluctant to point fingers, but you can see it overall. You can see these guys kind of carrying some of their at-bats to the field. And the next thing you know, that's when you go, whoa, you're a step short or you make a bad decision. You, you know, you get forced with a play and all of a sudden you're not anticipating the flow of the game. Your mind's not where it should be. It's on your last at-bat. And that's when mistakes are made in the field. Throwing to the wrong bag or not quite ready to make a quick play. Or you're a little uncertain when you get the ball. Uh, we, we've seen kind of little little signs of that here and there. I've seen it since since I've been around professional baseball where guys take their at-bats out to the field with them. Uh, that's something that the manager can step in, that a coach can step in, that a leader in that clubhouse can step in and say something. Sometimes it's better from the players themselves, uh, you know, calling each other out in the play, a players-only meeting. When that sort of thing starts to happen, a players-only meeting sometimes is the best thing that can happen. And also an off day which the Yankees are coming off an off day. Maybe they can regroup, start off in, uh, on a good note against Seattle. We'll see. But, yes, the most effective times I, that I was reprimanded was from a teammate, you know, whether it was Keith Hernandez or Don Mattingly or George Brett, where they, hey, guys, get your head out of your ass. You know, what, what, what are we doing here? You know, they, it, that that's much better from a leader on the team than than it is from a manager when these sorts of things are going on. We talk a lot about- about, you know, trying to do too much at the plate. Well, that can happen in the field too. Fielding goes through slumps, just like hitting goes through slumps. And, you know, you think of a play in Boston, you know, Anthony Rizzo went way out towards second base to try and get a ground ball, even though Glaber Torres was standing right there and then no one's at first base. And poor Matt Crook, who's a lefty falling off the other side, he can't get over there in time. Well, that might be a case of somebody who's trying to make a play too much while leaving open first base. And, as far as accountability goes, this is not a team of, of rookies and young guys. These are guys who've been in 12, 15 years in the major leagues who know what to do and what not to do. So I think fans can overreact as far as, oh, cut this guy, bench this guy. Again, these things happen, slumps happen, mistakes happen. But, Cody, you mentioned, you know, a leader. It's 
you know, you might think Aaron Judge, but I know something you guys bring up on the broadcasts a lot of uh, Don Mattingly said when you're injured, it's you it's really hard to be a leader on the team when you're not playing every day. Very true. It, it is true. Uh, and I know it's really getting to the Yankees in particular in terms of they're tired of hear, they're tired of hearing about Aaron Judge. Mm-hmm. You know, they they don't want that as an excuse. Not so much that they're tired of hearing about Aaron Judge, but more that they're tired of hearing that as an excuse. And Aaron Boone had that comment probably a little a little heated for him. You know, like it's exactly was the sentiment he said, you know what? We've got guys in the room that this is they need to do it. We can do it right here. We can't use Aaron Judge as an excuse. So that's right to James's point. You know, it, it really does come down to these guys with track records, getting it going. Sometimes it's one swing. Sometimes it's one game. Sometimes it's a little mini stretch where everybody comes together. It, it, it's it's hard to quantify. Sometimes, you know, you have one big inning and everybody just loosens up collectively. That That's how baseball works. You know, even though it's an individual sport we're made up of individual matchups, pitcher, pitcher, hitter, but one guy gets a hit and it lights it up. But John Carlo hits a monster bomb against Seattle in this first game. It's all of a sudden everybody kind of goes, whoa, okay, we're okay now. And now everybody else can loosen up and play their game as opposed, as opposed to constantly being in the batter's box when everybody's slumping and being that guy that's going to gonna break it out, going to do something big that, that gets us jump-started. Once somebody does it, then everybody else can, can kind of fall into line. Yeah, it's uh, it's tough to believe that these players are are cooked. Like the, the, the track record is there; it speaks for itself. Patience, I guess, needs to be had, but patience is is tough to have when you're seeing your team play the way that the Yankees have, for sure. This is not the first three and eight stretch the Yankees have had this season. This they also did this in late April, and they had a three and eight slide, including four straight losses, which is right where they are coming out of Boston, three and eight, including a season long tying four straight losses. They went 21 and 10 in the next 31 games before this three and eight stretch. So these things tend to go up and down, but in the big picture, this roster is good enough to win. Even without Aaron judge, the Yankees were second in the major leagues in run scored. It wasn't all Aaron judge last year and Giancarlo Stanton. We've seen him struggle for a week or two weeks when he has a lengthy injured list stint. So this is terrible timing to have him coming off the IL right when judge goes down. And for Rizzo, a very uncharacteristic two weeks, one of the worst uh, 12 game stretches of his career uh, coming at a bad time. But these, these hitters can put up a lot of runs. Yeah. I think that's what it boils down to as well. A bunch of skilled hitters just with incredibly poor timing, collectively slumping all at once, they gotta they gotta push through it here uh, with a home stand against the Mariners and those dangerous Rangers who continue to hit. That's gonna be a tough test coming up this weekend in the Bronx. All right, guys, that's gonna do it here for this episode. Thank you to Mitch Keller for joining us here. James, have a great time in London, my friend. Take lots of pictures, send a postcard, maybe. David, enjoy LA. Uh, for David Cohn, for James Smythe, for our fantastic producer, Dan Wark. This is Justin Shackle. We will talk to you next week on Toe in the Slab, pitching with David Cohn, a production of John Boy Media. Take care.